So people of God in Christ, I would imagine we have all heard it before. In one place or another, at one time or another, the answer, the objection, judge not, or don't judge me, or even don't you dare judge me. It comes as one person is trying to confront and challenge another person that something they are doing is wrong. Or if confront and, and challenge are, are two strong words, uh, then it's the answer given by one person uh, or when one person is simply uh, calling upon another to rethink what they are doing, that maybe that's not the best thing to do or the best way to be. And people are quick, probably ourselves included, to take offense. We don't like being told that we are wrong, especially that we are acting and behaving wrongly. And heaven forbid if someone is even charged with sin. Judge not, comes the reply. How many people throughout our culture even know where the saying comes from? It's hard to say. But it comes, as, as we probably know, from the teaching of our Lord. As we have heard it read now in his Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 7, verse 1, Jesus preached and taught these two words, judge not. The problem is that that's not all he said. If the words judge not are attributed to Jesus, then he is being misquoted. And of course, there are various ways that you can misquote someone. You can, uh, you can simply change up the words and get the, the quotation wrong. But another way is simply to only quote part of what a person said and uh, leaving out other words that make it clear what the speaker was saying. And, and that latter way of misquoting someone is, is what is happening here. Jesus did not just say, judge not, period. What Jesus said and taught was, judge not, that you be not judged. But even now, by way of the full quotation, we still need to stop and ask, what did Jesus mean? Because we might hear him to say, never judge, because if you judge, you will be judged for judging. Listen again, judge not that you be not judged. In other words, we might hear Jesus saying the way to avoid being judged is never to judge. And that's wrong. Jesus is not ruling out or prohibiting all forms and all instances of making judgments. Instead, what he is saying is, Judge not in such a way that you put yourself then under judgment. Or we, may, we might paraphrase it like this. Do not cast that judgment upon your brother or sister that would only put you in a position to bring yourself under judgment. Otherwise, the lesson that Jesus is giving, the command that he is issuing as our king, is simply this. Do not judge sinfully. If Jesus is prohibiting all judgment between brothers or sisters in the church, then we have come upon a rather glaring contradiction in God's word because Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. And the apostle James writes, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering 
will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The church is exactly that place where we are to be encouraging one another, supporting one another, and even holding one another accountable. The question before us is not whether to judge, but how to judge in a loving way. This is what the Apostle Paul teaches as he echoes the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, that we must judge carefully. We must judge in love. We must judge with due patience and with concern to see our brother growing in faith. So as a first point, judgment as a stumbling block. I think it's pretty clear that this next passage in Romans 14 fits with and is a continuation of the first part of the chapter. And that the whole chapter comes under the, the rubric of the call to love each other, as we heard in Romans 13. Last time we speculated, I, I think rightly, that uh, the call not to quarrel is a, is a kind of real life case study in loving each other. In other words, one application of the call to love each other is the call not to quarrel with each other over matters of opinion. For us, as we are a confessional church, that means not quarreling over things that aren't specifically spelled out and laid down in our doctrinal standards. And at the end of Paul's teaching against quarreling, he brings in the issue of judgment. Connection between quarreling and sinful judgment is that quarreling comes by way of sinful judgment. We may firmly believe and, and, and make our own judgment that our brother is wrong, and he may indeed be wrong. But his correction and growth in faith will not come by quarreling with him. And so it is that Paul continues with his, his teaching regarding judgment in verse 13 and through the end of the chapter. In verse 13, he writes, therefore, and the word therefore obviously connects what follows to what comes before. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. We need to hear this teaching from Paul in the same way that we hear the command of our Lord in, in Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. Could it possibly be that Paul is prohibiting all identification of wrong thinking, errant teaching, and sinful behavior in the church? Or that when sin is identified, that the sinner should be left to go his way without accountability? If that were the case, then not only do we have a glaring contradiction in God's word, but Paul is proving himself to be a hypocrite by, by making the judgment that judgment must not be made. It's like when someone makes the claim, uh, the truth claim, that truth is relative, that there is no absolute truth. Well, except for this one truth, that there is no truth. Uh, it's the it's the Wizard of Oz all over again. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. So the point is not that we must never judge. Don't don't you dare judge me. But that we must seek to judge rightly, because 
judging wrongly, for example, by quarreling, is not only unhelpful, it even causes harm. It doesn't help and it even hurts and makes things worse. It only adds sin to sin rather than seeing a person grow in their understanding and faith. So we need to see this passage starting already in Romans 13, uh, kind of like an an hourglass. Uh, Paul starts at the top by giving the quite broad lesson and call to love each other. But how do we keep that from from becoming a, a platitude to which we just say amen and Oh, isn't that sweet? So then his teaching narrows to one specific way that we must love each other by not quarreling. But in the end, it broadens out again to teach more generally about judgment in the church. He lit upon the matter of judgment already because quarreling results from wrong judgment. But now Paul continues, it would seem to to teach more broadly, more generally about judgment. And we can immediately hear that Paul is not calling the church at Rome to leave off all discernment of right from wrong and wrong from right. In verse 14, he writes, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. That's a judgment. Paul is discerning right from wrong. We pointed this out last time to see how striking it is that even when a person is, is, is clearly wrong in what they believe and practice, quarreling is not going to be the thing that changes his or her mind. Instead, quarreling, along with other forms of wrong judgment, will only be a stumbling block and a hindrance to him. The rest of verse 14 says this, I, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. Now, this is difficult, too. Maybe you can hear it. Because we might think that Paul is teaching that something becomes objectively right or wrong based on our believing it to be right or wrong. Like we decide what is right and wrong according to what we believe. I hope we can see that that doesn't fit with anything else that scripture teaches. Instead, Paul is speaking subjectively. In other words, it's not that there is no objective truth founded upon the God who is truth itself. But if a person thinks something is wrong and, and, and we fly it in his face or even if we are not careful to avoid accidentally offending that person, then we are not loving that person. We are not helping that person, but rather are putting a stumbling block in the way of that person and becoming a hindrance to his growth in faith. If you will, it's like a, it's like a a wicked farmer dealing with a sick horse who only beats the animal. You can't beat a sick horse back to his feet and back to work. It doesn't work and it only makes the horse worse off. Or it's like working on your car and uh, and you can't fix it. So you get angry and uh, 
and throw your, your tool uh, through one of the windows. Well, now you have two things to fix on the car. Or if we change up the angle and consider again that maybe we are the one who is wrong, if we break fellowship with our brother who proves at some later point to be right, we have distanced ourselves from the source of our correction and the blessing that might come to us from God through him. So Paul writes in verse 15, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Once again, it's not only about the good of your brother or sister. It's about Christ. Christ is the one who unites the church by our shared faith in him. Even more, Paul writes, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our unity. And, and by this reference, we ought to be reminded of uh, a related passage where Paul writes in Ephesians 4 verse 2, calling the church to all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And I think it's always worth pointing out when we look at this verse and read it, that we are not being called to generate our own unity by insisting that everybody agrees with me, but rather to maintain the existing, the existing unity of the Spirit. For Paul writes, there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to our call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So one, 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 one. We are all one in Christ and in the Spirit. All, all, all. We are all one in Christ and in the Spirit. And yet in the middle of this instruction from Paul, there is one line that I think deserves uh, our attention and focus. On one hand, it, it doesn't seem to fit with the, the context, with, with Paul's main point. In, in verse 16, uh, it reads, So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So the second point is, judge not and be not judged. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. By this, Paul gives us a, a quick bit of instruction on how to respond when someone else judges us wrongly. I almost think verse 16 uh, should begin a new paragraph. You probably know there's no paragraphing in, in the Greek manuscripts. But a, a new paragraph here would help us to see that this is a, a separate but related point so that we hear Paul leaving off his first main point, which we might even hear as his main point, in order to make a, a, a corollary point. His main point is don't judge wrongly. But this, too, needs to be said for clarification. Paul is not saying 
that we just need to be yes men, uh, a, a yes person, uh, someone who just goes bouncing around between different opinions. Uh, when we are with this person or with, with this group of people, we agree with them. And, uh, and, and then when we're with that person or with that group of people, will we speak to agree with them? No, instead, come to a conviction, study it out, pray about it. How are you going to live your Christian life on a certain matter of opinion again? And stay there. Don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Something might be said here about the idea of not letting someone say that something is evil when you regard it as good. Again, if we read it wrong, it sounds a bit like the exact opposite of what Paul has been teaching. It, it sounds like Paul is saying, go ahead, uh, argue, go ahead and, and do the thing right in front of the person who will be offended by it. Do whatever you have to do so that others are uh, do not say that you are wrong, speaking of something as evil that you regard as good. Uh, a similar statement is found in uh, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, where Paul teaches uh, Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. How, do you, how does Timothy do that? How do you control whether someone uh, thought ill of him because he was young? Again, let no one despise you for your youth. Well, there Paul goes on to clarify. Uh, he tells Timothy how he was not to let someone look down on him uh, by setting the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So Paul finishes his instruction. But here in Romans 14, we, we don't get some specific clarification, but, but this only. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So the point cannot be that we have to figure out how to control what others say, even when they speak contrary to our convictions. But there is this very important clarification that when it comes to matters of opinion, they are just not that important really aren't. Matters of opinion are not at least the main thing. Paul writes in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, or, uh, but it's a matter of righteousness and, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And Paul's reference to righteousness here must certainly be to the righteousness of Christ imputed to us, because otherwise it would it would once again be a contradiction if Paul meant some righteousness that we that we achieve, then would that not cast us back into some desperate attempt to figure out how to always be right, even to the offense and the harm of others who disagree with us? Instead, the kingdom of God is a matter of all believers together sharing in the righteousness of Christ. So that the kingdom of God is the matter of all of us finding peace and experiencing the joy of the gospel by the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. 
simply means, simply and, and yet so very profound, it means hold your convictions. Don't go waffling all over the place. Enjoy your salvation by the, by the credit of Christ's righteousness. Be at peace. Rejoice in the gospel. As we've said before, even, even whatever righteousness we achieve still needs to be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And even if we or another is wrong on matters of opinion, our salvation is secure in Christ. And we can be assured, brothers and sisters, we can be assured of our salvation. Finally, then, this third point, judging ourselves in faith, which is exactly the way we ended the last point. Coming to verse 20, Paul returns to the case study that, uh, that he started with. He comes back to the problem of putting a stumbling block in the way of another believer and becoming a hindrance rather than a help to them. He writes, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God clarifies again that there is a right and a wrong in the matter of clean and unclean food. He writes, everything is indeed clean. But here's the thing to remember. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Then Paul says this, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on, on himself for what he approves. So here we can, we can close with the call again to a personal faith. I would call you this morning to a personal faith in God through Christ. A third category of, of believers within the church it's those who don't have faith at all. There may be those who, on the positive side, aren't caught up in quarreling and disputes, but only because they don't really care. They haven't given thought to what truly honors Christ. And this should not be. The, the church can be a very dangerous place. Church can be a dangerous place for, for such people because they are in the church, they aren't caught up in quarrels, so that no one knows that they are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ. I guess if there is anything good to come of quarreling, that it at least shows that people care about what's right and wrong. That they are thinking, they are trying, they are, and they are, they, are, they are doing what is right to serve Christ. But apathy and complacency can appear as faith when there is no true faith there at all. Paul writes, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. He goes on to clarify, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. His point, I think, is, is to point us to the gospel again. There needs to be a faith between each person and God. And by that faith will come the blessing of being free of judgment. Would you be free of judgment, God's judgment this morning? Certainly free from the 
coming judgment in the last day, but also free of a, of a constant or at least recurring doubt about your salvation even now. Paul has, has already taught in this passage that whatever comes from true faith is honoring to Christ. Remarkably, even when a person is wrong on matters of opinion. But he ends with the converse. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Be right, do right, yet being and doing right will not save you. And being and doing right is yet not good unless it flows from faith in Christ. Can't help but go to the Heidelberg Catechism again here because question 91 says, what do we do that is good? Such a, such a helpful question, is it not? What do we do that is good? And it answers, only that which arises out of true faith conforms to God's law and is done for his glory. I think the order of these three is intentional and, and important. The first matter of doing that which is truly good is faith in Christ. Unless we are first trusting Christ for our salvation, standing assured in his righteousness, even if we obey God's law, we are not doing good. But as we are trusting in Christ for our salvation and standing assured in his righteousness, then yes, the law of God instructs us in what is right and wrong. But even then, as pride rears its ugly head, we can easily slide back into an obedience. We are believers. We're obeying according to God's law. But we're obeying to make us look good. So that the last part is that we must do it all for his glory. While the lessons of Romans 13 and 14 certainly build on each other, I hope I've been able to, to, to show that. So let us love each other. We'll just go over them again. Love each other. Let us not quarrel over matters of, of opinion, but seek to hold one another accountable on confessional matters. Let us not judge each other wrongly, but seek instead to build one another up. It will take the knowledge of God's word, each of us aspiring to a greater knowledge and a growing faith requires that each of us has a personal faith in Christ, trusting him for God's gift of righteousness so that our unity is found and maintained in Christ by the Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. We do thank you, Father in heaven, for the blood and righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to stand firm by faith in him. Help us to be assured of our salvation. Help us not to be cast upon some bed of doubt and help us uh, neither to have to go after others in order to justify ourselves. Help us to be at peace with one another, even as we disagree. We do thank you again for our confessions, for that unity that it brings to us to, to know uh, what we believe. We 
We thank you again for the generations that have gone before us, using, reading, testing, approving these standards, that we might receive them as, uh, as our standard. Grant, O oh God, that uh, as we live out our faith together, that we would love each other, that we would not quarrel, that we would not judge wrongly, that we would always be seeking to encourage one another and to build each other up in the faith that we share, trusting in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.